2 Corinthians uh, chapter 8 uh, is where we are in um, God's Word. Um, love this uh, passage. It uh, almost brings me to tears when I um, read it every time. One of my favorites. See, Paul and Barnabas are um, in uh, Jerusalem and uh, they feel called and compelled by God to go bring the gospel to the Gentiles. And uh, the Jewish church, the Jewish Christian church, they weren't so sure about that. They, you see, race and ethnicity tensions aren't new in our day. 2,000 years ago, guess what? The Jews didn't like the Gentiles, and the Gentiles weren't real fond of the Jews. And um, the Jews' idea of what the, this new thing called Christianity would look like they didn't really um, get wrapped their minds around the idea that it would actually include having Gentiles in the family, right? So Paul and Barnabas said, no, no, we're going to go to the Gentiles with the good news, but we need you behind us. We need you to send us um, there. And so finally the church came around and said, yeah, it is of God, and we're going to send you, but we are going to ask you to do this one thing. Uh, uh, don't forget the poor here in Israel, in, in Jerusalem, because... The, the, the Jewish non-Christian majority um, were, were hammering the Christian church. The Romans were hammering the, the Christians. They were beleaguered. They were very poor and uh, broken and needy. And so they said, um, when you go out to Gentile world, don't forget us back here. Take collections everywhere you go. And they, they had gone through, uh, Paul and Barnabas on their journey through Macedonia, which is northern Greece. And they'd been to um, Philippi, and they've been to Thessalonica, and they've been to per Berea, and, um, and, and something so staggering had happened there that next they're going to Corinth. Now, Corinth was the richest city of, of the ancient world at that time, sitting at the bottom of the Peloponnese uh, uh, of Greece. Um, Corinth was the most dysfunctional church in the New Testament. Uh, it was a very wealthy community, and so before they get there, they send a letter ahead to the church in Corinth. And we're going to read part of that letter right now. Isn't that amazing? 2,000 years later, we're going to read the writing of Paul to a church 2,000 years ago. He's about to go there, and it's about their giving. Isn't that interesting? So stand, and uh, we're going to give our attention to God's Word. The first nine verses of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. So Paul says to the church in Corinth, we want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. And there was something happened in Macedonia. We've got to tell you about it. Um, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord, and then by the will of God to us. Accordingly, we urge Titus that as he had started, so he should complete among you this act of grace. But as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and all earnestness, and in our love for you, see that you excel in this act of grace also. I say this not as a command, but to prove by the earnestness of others that your love also is genuine. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sake he became poor so that youth by his poverty might become rich. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This is the reading of the very word of God. The grass withers and the flower fades, but not the word of God. No, the word of God stands forever. You may be seated, please. So 2020 was the year of the test, right? I better go get a test. I wonder if I can find a rapid test. I hear over in the villages they've got the test. You can get the test to find out whether you're infected or not. Do you have it? Don't you have it? How many days after the test? Um, what if you've had it? Then, then does the test accurate? It was all about the test, the test, the test. Now, I don't know how many of you had the test, but if you went for the test, you may have had to experience the nasal swab. The nasal swab. How many of you experienced the nasal swab in the last year? It was a highlight, wasn't it? Um, it was very important that um, you, the swabby, encountered a swabber that uh, was having a good day. Because if, uh, if they hadn't had their coffee, if they were um, on edge, the swabbing experience was like having your um, sinus cavity roto-rootered. Um, wasn't all of that was to determine one thing, are you infected or not, right? And that's what the great opportunity is. It's a test. It's a, it's a um, evaluative device in which uh, we're determining our level of infection. Have we been, been infected by the grace of God so that it's permeated every part of our life and it's changing us at our, at our very base level, right? Have you been infected? So the, the first week we talked about experiencing God in such a way that you understand that life is about him, it's not about you. That he doesn't actually work for you, you work for him, right? It's a, it's a whole different orientation of, of life, right? Has the grace of God given you love for um, God, right? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? Love God. And then the second week we talked about uh, not only that, if you're infected by the grace of God, it's gonna show up in the way that we love our neighbor, right? In the third week we talked about the grace of God, if you're infected with it, will give us love for people who are far from God. Maybe people that, that we would turn up our nose at or not want to really associate with, but the grace of God changes us, right? We love people who are far from God and we welcome them. We also love other people like family called the church, right? And the church ha always has people that we don't like, right? It's a problem with the church is there are people that we don't like, join it. And um, yet the grace of God makes a church a family out of the most disparate um, people, right? So are you infected by the grace of God in each of uh, these ways? And then last week's uh, message was what? If you're infected by the grace of God, then you feel this tremendous burden that the responsibility of Christians in every age is to pass the faith to who? to pass the faith to our children and to our grandchildren and to our great-grandchildren, right? To the next generation. And so this week we ask uh, this question. Has the grace of God infected you in such a way that it shows up in uncommon generosity? It's a test, right? Are you generous? Is your generosity uncommon? I love the story of a missionary and a businessman the businessman was a very prominent um, businessman from Philadelphia. They were in Korea. Uh, it was years ago when Korea was very poor. 
And, uh, and as they traveled in a rural area, uh, they saw a, a plowing in a field. They saw a man plowing his field. That's not unusual at all. What was unusual was the plow wasn't pulled by a beast. It was pulled by a young man. It was a man in the harness, right, um, pulling the plow. And the, um, the businessman had said, are they so poor here that they couldn't afford a beast? You know, they couldn't afford an ox to pull the plow. And the missionary said, oh, they had an ox. But you understand, they were building a church in this little rural community. And everybody threw in um, what they had, but it still wasn't enough. And so this farmer and his son, they sold their ox, and the son pulls the plow. Um, and the, the businessman said, wow, they're, they, they're incredibly poor. And the, and, the, and the missionary said, no, you don't get it. They were poor, they're not poor, they were, they were the wealthy. And uh, they just counted it amazing that God gave them an ox that they could contribute, right? Um, uncommon generosity, we know when we experience it, we know when we um, see it, it's, uh, it's a beautiful thing. And it's, uh, it's uncommon, it's particularly uncommon, I think, uh, in, uh, in many churches. Love the story of the man who said, doctor, doctor, I'm, uh, I'm dying, I'm dying, gotta help me. And uh, he said, I, I, I touch my head, it hurts, I, I touch my chest, pain shoots through me. He said, uh, you know, I even touch my knee and I can't stand the pain. So the doctor examined him, said, I've got, I've got good news and bad news. The good news is you're not dying. The bad news is, you have a broken finger, right? You have a broken finger. Well, guess what? If I wanted to touch uh, the church in a way that you would feel sensitivity to it, all you have to do in the church of today is, uh, is talk about money. Tremendous uh, resistance, tremendous. You know, the pastor, people are nice generally to the pastor after church. If you're standing out there, people come out and greet you, but not when you talk about money. It's like um, the Red Sea parts. Um, as people, they both go for those side doors. There's no traffic in the middle. Um, the, the, the whole subject is, um, is, is not greeted. That's the common uh, approach. It's my money. It's none of your uh, business. The letters that, uh, that, that you can get, and sometimes they're personally harsh. Like, not everybody can live at the level you live at, Pastor. Um, I even, in this campaign, somebody sent in a pledge card before we even were receiving pledge cards. Somebody sent in a pledge card and said, where's the budget? That's all it said on the pledge card. Big, bold letters with, I don't know, it was a crayon or something. Where's, where's the budget? Uh, I don't even know what that means exactly. Um, but I guess it was like, show us how the money's been used in the past. Which, by the way, anybody who's a member of this church can see the budget anytime you want to. We've never had any um, secrets. Um, this is the kind of response people say, I'm tired you know, of the church begging for money. What's the uncommon generosity? What do we find in the people of Macedonia? What does it say in verse three uh, and four? For they gave, it wasn't the church begging, it was what? It was the Macedonians begging. They were begging for the opportunity to give. That's uncommon, isn't it? How often do you think people come out afterwards uh, uh, after church and say, you know, I don't think you've talked about giving in a while. Please, oh, please, oh, please. More about money, more about giving. 
But guess what? It's vital to talk about. You know why? Because the Bible says where your treasure is, there will be your... Do you not know that verse? Where your treasure is, where there will be your heart also. When I first started in the ministry, I said, I'm never talking about money. People don't like it. They're not going to come to the church. We've got to build a church. I'm not talking about money. So the first thing I ever preached on when I started here was Nehemiah. And Nehemiah built new walls. And guess what? To build new walls in the city of Jerusalem, guess what they needed? Resources. Oh, crap. And then... Um, then I preached on the Sermon on the Mount next. And guess what I discovered everywhere in the Sermon on the Mount, right? Jesus talking about money, the money, money, because um, it has and always will be a test of the condition of our heart. So what produces uncommon generosity? And whatever that is, is it producing that in you? You hear where we're going, okay? Two-point sermon, how about that? Praise your name, Pastor. So here we go. What's the test? The test is that if, if your life is collided with grace, there is certain fruit that will show up. You will know them by their fruit, right? Um, so if a tree can, can make all kinds of claims about itself, I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree, I'm an apple tree, but if there's no apples, you're not an apple tree, right? So here's the, here's the fruit. First thing we see in this passage is there'll be generous giving, right? Generous giving, the grace, the collision of grace produces generosity. What does it say, say of them? That uh, their um, giving came out of a wealth of generosity. It overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. They gave liberally. Now the Corinthians were wealthy and yet Paul had to prod them with the example of the poor Macedonians. Because generosity is not frequent among the prosperous. Don't think, you know, I would be generous if I had a lot of money. That is um, categorically untrue. There is zero correlation between wealth and generosity. Do you know what state in our country has the highest per capita charitable giving? The state that has the lowest standard of living, the state of Mississippi. The state of Mississippi has the highest per capita charitable giving level. And uh, you can take states like Massachusetts and, uh, and other states that are at the top of, uh, of, of the standard of living, the highest per capita income levels, and they are consistently at the lowest charitable giving levels. Christians gave a higher percentage to the church in the Great Depression than they do now. The wealthier we get, very often the stingier we get. It's not wealth that makes us generous. It's our Father's lavish grace. This is the mark of a Christian, generosity. Christians are generous, why? Because our Father is. Because our Father is. Children tend to take after their Father. Somebody gave me a compliment some years ago. They said something about uh, Cortez, you have a gift of, of, of creating, um, um, you know, people coming into a room with, with, with varying um, opinions and strong opinions, even um, uh, disagreeing, and yet you seem to be able to bring a group to consensus and, and move them forward with unity. And when they said, of course, that was a nice thing for them um, to say to me, but it, it, it struck a deep chord in me. You know why? 
because I still remember a time when I was about 16 years old and, and a man in my church happened to tell me about my father. And he said, I've been in father's where, uh, meetings where your father is leading the meeting. And you know what, your father, he has this gift. And you know what, years and years ago, the very words somebody was saying about me, I still remember the place, I still remember the man who said them, I still remember what he said about my father, it was the exact same thing. You know what, it's pretty cool for a son to have somebody say, you're just like your father. Um, Christians are generous because our father is, you know, that's what it should be. Waitstaff people in restaurants often say the worst time, the shift they never want to have is the Sunday lunch shift because church people come in and they are the worst tippers of anyone. Um, you know, I told somebody that William Bunch was um, um, cooking our lunch um, today and they said, did he give us a good deal? And I don't know why the words came out of me, but I said, uh, I hope not. I hope he charged us a lot because we wanna bless the people in this community. I don't want our church to ever ask any business in this community to give us a deal. Uh, we wanna be generous, right? We don't wanna say it's the church of Jesus Christ, cut your charges, give us a deal. Um, God's people, generous. Think of the woman who anointed Jesus with that ointment. She came in and uh, she made a fool out of herself in front of this religious leaders who were there and she broke this expensive jar of ointment and she washed Jesus' feet with it. It was over the top, it was lavish. And the religious leaders were appalled, they were disgusted. And you remember what they said? Because they were very religious. This should have been what? This money should have been given to the poor. See, no matter whatever happens in a church and people are lavish, somebody will always wag their finger. And I'm gonna tell you, if you set your heart to be generous, you will find opposition at almost every turn. And it will come from people very close to you. Um, you go to college, you're a young person, you go to college, you actually go to grad school, you go to medical school, you could pay for it all on your own, you could take out loans, whatever, and when you get done, you say, I'm, I'm a doctor now, I'm a physician's assistant, whatever, but I, you know, God's called me to Bangladesh. That's where I'm gonna serve, and very often it's your parents who say what? No, no, that's not a good choice. No, God didn't say that. Where about my grandchildren, right? There are sick and hurting people here. Why don't you take care of your own country? Why don't you take care of your own community, right? No, because, because they don't wanna, that, that, that generosity impacts them, right? You may have experienced that in your own marriage, right? Wrestling over the pledge card, right? Somebody says, let's go here, and somebody else says, I don't wanna go there. Um, I don't think so. There's, uh, there's too many other things that we could use that um, money for. Um, listen, college students, it's not unusual at all. I've heard it again and again. A child goes to college and gets converted and they go home and they tell their parents, I've become a Christian. Now parents don't generally like to hear that, why? Because they take it as a personal challenge. Wait, we raised you in the church. Um, and if you became a Christian, then maybe we have to. Um, 
But they generally get over it, right? Because they figure, well, some religion will be good. Maybe, you know, she won't get pregnant before she's married and all that. And, um, and so very often parents will say, okay, okay, okay. Seems to be working out good. But, here's, but don't get too into it. Like, like here's a, here would be evidence that you're too into it. You start doing what? You start giving the church money. Don't, don't, don't. That's when you know you've tipped over into the cult. Um, so if you attempt to be um, generous, I'm just telling you, they'll be pushed back. A friend of mine, John Sartell, um, he, he, uh, he, he was a church, 2,000 people. Every child who joined the church had to meet with him, the senior pastor. And on his desk was a candy jar, but it wasn't like a little candy jar that had a few little, you know, sweet tarts in it. This was a candy jar. This was a candy canister, you know. It was immense because it had Snicker bars and Reese's and all that, but it didn't have those little ones, those little cheapo ones. It had like the biggest one you could buy, and it was crammed full with them. And so when he was done with every child who was joining the church, he would say to them, now I want you to take uh, some candy, but there's one rule. One rule you have to follow. What do you think the rule is? And what would every child say? What did they think the rule was? Only, you can only take one. And John would say to them, there's one rule and you're wrong about the rule. The rule is that you can't take only one. If you're only gonna take one, don't take any. I want you to walk out of here with as many as you can carry. Uh, because John said, I wanted them to start to understand that the love and grace of God is bottomless, right? Generosity marks the church. Generosity is to mark the people of God. Secondly, what's, the other fr- what's another fruit of grace that would show up in our life? It's, it's this gritty giving. It's, it's sacrificial giving. What did, what did we learn about the Macedonians? They didn't have anything. They had tremendous affliction. That's what it says, right? For a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty had overflowed in a well. These are people who were hurting. They were strapped by wars. Their economy had collapsed. They were mired in poverty. The Romans had plundered them. And yet they gave and they gave and they gave sacrificially. Remember when Jesus walks the disciples into the temple for an object lesson and he stops and he says, look at the treasury there. Let's watch the people putting their money in the offering. Many rich people were putting in large sums of money, but in came a poor widow with two little coins, right? And she put them in, and what does Jesus say about that? He said, I say to you, this widow put in more than all those who are contributing, and everyone there would have said, what do you mean more? Bill Gates gave more than she did. You know, how could could you say more? That's not more, she hardly put anything in. But what did he say? They gave out of their abundance, she gave out of her poverty. She put in everything she had. You know, in, in, in North America, we often think, I could give and I could even give a lot, but very often we just skim off the top. Our giving doesn't really impact our lifestyle. Sacrificial giving is beautiful. So when I finished um, high school, I went to rural Appalachia, Upper Glade, West Virginia. More than half the people in that community didn't have um, um, indoor plumbing. And... Uh, and I remember uh, uh, a couple, a family named Jimmy and Ruth Utt. 
And the Yachts lived in a little shack up on the side of a mountain where they did strip mining. It was so sad. The mining company would blow the, 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 the top of the mountain off. Huge rocks and debris would rain down on the Yachts' house. They would, they would blow a horn, a whistle, you know, uh, uh, that gave them like five or 10 minutes to run. They literally would have to go run down the mountainside. And there literally, when I was there, I remember a large boulder crashing right through their roof into their house. And uh, they, were, they, were, they were mentally handicapped. They were, they were simple. Um, and, um, but they had a son. They had one son who wasn't. And uh, so we paid special attention um, to him and time with him. And our, student, our, our, our youth group went up to their house and he loved basketball. So we built him a court and a basketball goal and, and everything. We loved their son. And when I left that summer, the people in the church were, uh, when I went back to college, they were so sweet and kind um, to me. And they, you know, they gave gifts of appreciation. But the one gift, I'll, I couldn't tell you what one other person gave me, but I remember what the Uts gave me. It was a shirt. It was a dress shirt. It wasn't blue. But they, um, they um, I, I bet it cost a dollar. Uh, it was the ugliest, flimsiest, uh, cheapest um, shirt you can imagine. Um, a shirt you'd be embarrassed to wear, in a sense. But what a gift. Because the sacrifice that they would sacrifice. Gosh, think of how Jesus is pleased by his people when they sacrifice. You know, every pastor's class, I, I like to get to a point where I tell them, we have these buildings, we have all of this around us. You know why we have this? Because people at the beginning of the church, they had a vision. The vision was that people were coming to Citrus County. And if we could have a church here, then we'd have an opportunity to reach them for Jesus when they came. And you know that the vision lives so uh, much inside of them that they, um, many of them had built homes um, and uh, uh, so they were young. These were young couples that had built homes, sometimes with their own hands, their own ability. They'd been their own general contractors. And, and, um, and these were beautiful homes. These are the homes they intended to raise their families in for, uh, for years and years to come. But they were so taken with the vision. They didn't have, much, they didn't have any money, but they had these uh, grand, gorgeous homes. So guess what they did? I mean, it became a wave. They sold their homes so they could take the equity out of their homes and give it so that we could build our first building. Who does that? And then is one of my favorite moments of the class. I turn to the class and I say, who did they do that for? And everybody just sits and looks at me. And I said, they did it for you. Because that's you. You're the one who came. Now you're sitting in this class. By God's Holy Spirit, they looked into the future and they saw you. They saw you coming. They saw you coming to this community and they paid the price for you. And so guess who they did it for? You. You, sitting here today. Why is this building here? Why is that school there? Because they did it for you. Who builds a house for somebody else? Sacrificial. Love, right? So, last then, um, and you know, by the way, n nobody in our, I'm afraid nobody in our culture, very few really sacrifice when you think about it. 
December 15th, 750 Ethiopian Christians were marched into a square and they were shot to death. 750 Ethiopian Christians in one day, martyred. So I think when they line up the great sacrificers in heaven, guess where we're gonna be? We'll be pretty far back in line, won't we? So what's last of all, this fruit? It's generous, it's sacrificial, and it's cheerful, it's glad, right? God's people give with gladness. Look at what, what it says in, in the next chapter. We didn't read this chapter of Corinthians chapter nine. It says right there, Second Corinthians, last, last uh, where you were, there we go, Second Corinthians nine, seven. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a what? Cheerful, cheerful giver. God's grace makes us glad and joyous um, givers. They begged for the privilege of giving. They didn't give dutifully, they gave with joy. Jesus loves it. You're like the woman who comes home on Valentine's Day and there's some flowers and there's some um, um, candy, you know, and there's, there's a nice little gift and card and, and she says to her husband, oh, you're so sweet and, and thank you. And, and, and he says, well, I mean, I married you those years ago. I said, I do. I'm, I'm good for my word, you know. I mean, it was my duty, right? I think I've done my duty. I mean, that just wins a woman's heart, doesn't it? Um, God doesn't uh, really, isn't really moved by dutiful giving, glad-hearted um, giving a... Um, Homeless woman in Chattanooga, um, Kelly Capick tells the story of her name, they, they, uh, of, of Tammy who was homeless and uh, came to their church, became involved in their church and their deacons would give her vouchers for food and supplies to take care of personal needs and everything else. And a couple days later she'd be back. Well, they'd given her plenty for two or three weeks, but she'd be back in a couple days and they'd say, what happened to your well, everything we gave you. She said, well, I gave it to all the other homeless people. And so they'd give her more, and they'd say, now don't give it away. Stop giving it all away. This is for you. We're taking care of you. A couple days later, she'd be back. They'd say, you're draining us, you know? That's not the way this works. And she looked at them, and she said, why should you have all the fun giving? I want to give. I want to give, too. Cheerful. I'd rather give it than keep it. God loves it. So Michael Puckett set out in, with our student ministry and they decided they're gonna take up an offering for the great opportunity. And Michael, that great visionary, um, said, we're gonna raise $100. And, and even his staff said, that's not enough to ask. All right, 250. They said that, no. He said, all right, 500. We're gonna raise 500 dollars for the campaign from our students from our students students have to give their money and um and he said you wouldn't have believed that this week watching the students come with their with their uh, little baggies of coins their their rolled up crumpled up dollars he said we they had such joy in doing it we added it all up it was 833 dollars and they're actually not done yet um beautiful Beautiful, beautiful. I'll never forget. Yeah, I like that. Absolutely. Thank you. Wow. 
I'll never forget the year we had people um, in, in a commitment Sunday like this. For whatever reason, God moved. And when they came down the aisle, people were crying one after another. They had tears streaming down their face. I remember the music that was playing. It was a hill song, song, I will never be the same again. I have decided to follow Jesus. There's nothing like it. Got it? Grace begets generosity and sacrificial and joyous giving. Now, where does it come from? Last point, where does it come from? What's the root of grace? What produces the lavish giver? It's right in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. Here's the test. You ready? Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Here's the bottom line. Do you know it? Do you know it experientially? Do you know it in your head? Do you know it in your heart? Have you owned it? Because he was rich. Jesus was rich, but for your sake he became what? Poor. You remember when he died, what did he have? His estate didn't take very long to settle, did it? They divided his garment right there on the spot. That's all he had. The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests. The son of man has nowhere to lay his head. He was born in a, in a stable, right? There was no room at the inn. He had to borrow a tomb at his death. He left glory and honor and, and, uh, and, and celebration. He was the prince of the universe, the creator, and he came down. Nobody could come down more than he came down. He came down into the womb of a teenage girl and he headed for a bitter cross on Calvary. Why? So that he could bear the penalty that we deserved. He became poor that we might become rich. He earned the favor of God. He passed the test that we couldn't pass. Complete obedience to God. And, and all that obedience transferred, accredited to his brothers and sisters so that we could sit here today and say, I am a child of God. That's the root of grace. That's the root. That's, that's what has to own us and change us and transform us. We are not orphans anymore cut off from God who have to run around like insecure children hanging on to what we have full of self-protection. We are secure children. You know that old story about how they would catch, uh, uh, in, the, in the jungle, how they would catch monkeys for food? They'd uh, tether a bottle to a tree, and they'd put a treat that the monkey wanted inside the bottle, and the monkey would reach in, grab the treat, and then could never get uh, its paw out. And they would capture the monkey. All the monkey needed to get away was what? Open its paw, that's all. But they wouldn't do it. That's a picture of an orphan. That's a picture of somebody who doesn't know how lavish our father is. Think of how Jesus' apostles were transformed by his love, by his grace. Jesus' small group, he met with them for three years. Some of you are small group leaders and you say, I get frustrated, I just don't think the group I'm leading gets it. Jesus, Jesus' small group, three years they met with him. And right before he dies, they were arguing about which one of them was the greatest, right? 
And, uh, and then he gets on his knees and he washes their feet and he goes to the cross and he resurrects from the dead and he ascends to heaven on their behalf and every one of them went out and laid down their lives. They got their heads cut off, they were crucified, they were sawn in two and once again, who did they do it for? They did it for you. They did it for you. You see, it's grace, it's experiencing grace. They experienced grace. They experienced the grace of God. So do you know the Father who's not stingy? Do you trust your Father who's just lavish? I love the story about the kids in the orphanage, you know, you've heard this before, they, they, they get hungry at night, so the, the sisters, you know, would put out a platter of apples. They got hungry in the night, they could come get an apple, only there was a sign there, a very stern sign said, take an apple, but only one, God's watching. On the other side of the, the mess hall, there they had a platter of cookies and a similar sign. But somebody had taken that sign and turned it over in, in a child's scrawl. They'd written on that sign, um, take a cookie, take all you want. God's watching the apples. <laughs> That's your father's sign right there. Um, he's not stingy. So this is the test, right? It's the test of the great opportunity. Do you know who your father is? Do you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ? Though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. Do you know that? Has it set you free to be uncommonly generous? Amen.